Well, good morning. Let me welcome you here to uh, First Baptist on Back to Church Sunday. My name is Pastor Brad Stahl. Privileged to get to be the senior pastor here at First Baptist. Let me give greetings as well to the uh, venue service uh, that is on our campus, as well as uh, those in the wiggle room and uh, those who will lis- be listening online a little bit later this uh, week as well. We want to give you greetings. Uh, and those of you who are here for the very first time, thank you so much for being here with us. I do encourage you, as Pastor Derek and Pastor uh, Scott did as well, please join us afterwards out for barbecue. You will get to meet some great people and further some community time. Uh, But let me start off the message uh, just a little differently today and and have you kind of uh, think about a few things. Let me ask you to recall or to trace perhaps uh, some memories that maybe you had in your early childhood or teenage years. And I know for some of you that goes back a little ways, but that's all right. All right. Think about this. If I asked you to tell me about memories in those parts of your life and those years that stand out the most, be they positive memories or hard and negative memories, what would you remember the most? If I was to give you a little bit of time to go over things and just some things that maybe even popped into your head right now, I would estimate or I would guess that most every one of your memories would have to do with some sort of relationships that you have, people who are in your life that you spent those times with. Maybe it was memories of a family. Maybe it was time that you were camping or going on vacations with them. Maybe it was a divorce that your parents went through or maybe a sibling of yours went through or you yourself. Maybe it was something in your high school years or your college days. Maybe it was a wedding uh, that just kind of popped into your mind. Maybe it was the birth of a child. Maybe it was some sort of holiday celebration that you have. But community and time with people or relationships probably come to the top of all of our list of top memories, good or bad. At the end of summer, uh, about a month ago, before my kids were getting back uh, into school, we were with another family, and the conversation came up. What was the uh, most enjoyable time or best memory you had over the summertime? And uh, what popped into my mind was getting to go to Yosemite and climb Half Dome. Any of you here climbed Half Dome? Okay. All right, a few of you, a few of you have done that. Fortunately, you do not have to climb the, you know, the straight up side, right? Around the back end is where you climb, but still, the 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 jaunt up there, I mean, is rather uh, intimidating. It is not for faint of heart. As you stand there at the base and you look up, it almost feels like you are just entering into heaven with with the angle that that is at. Um, and you see the cables that are there. You have to jump on this kind of the track, and you hold on with two hands as you're walking up, and you go from plywood board to plywood board uh, to plank, two by four plank. Um, it's about three or four steps in between, and then you get to the next resting spot, two or three steps in between, you get to the next resting spot. And I did this when I was in college, and I've done it when I was in high school as well. This was a totally different experience having my children and my wife right in front of me as I'm doing it. It was at one of these moments, like halfway up, that my daughter turns to me with a smirk on her face, and she said, Dad, I just have this urge to become a domino or a bowling ball right now. I thought, fight that urge, please. Not, not a good time to do that right now. 
But, but the best memories that I have was us kind of hiking through the wilderness, um, being with other people in the time that we gathered around the campfire and just had great times together. Again, community, time with people and relationships is what really made that. I could go there and do that on my own, but being with others is what strengthened that and made that a great experience for me over the summertime. Unfortunately, I think we remember, and I use that word past tense, remember people in relationships more than we appreciate people in relationships in our lives. What do I mean? Here's, here's what I mean. Over the next seven weeks, our church is going to be entering into uh, the, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box campaign or all-in churchwide series. We'll be doing eight messages on Sunday mornings and then um, encouraging people to get into community groups to further talk about the things that we talk about on Sundays and to go through a curriculum as well. The main emphasis of this study is to think with the end goal in mind of your life. The analogy we're going to use here is of of a game board, kind of portraying it as the game of life. And I want you to realize that God has designed life to move towards a goal. It isn't just about a set of random activities that you are involved in, but God wants you to arrange your life and the goals in life um, by what matters most. Because when the game is over at the end of life, your body will go into a coffin. They will have a big celebration for your life. It'll go six feet under the ground. They will pour dirt on your face. And then all your friends are going to go back to church and eat potato salad. That's the way it's going to happen for all of us. We're going to end up that way. And the only thing that matters in your life is what you did in this body. The memories that people have about you, the impact that you had, maybe the legacy that you live, that's what goes on. When the game is over, you're in the box, that's the only thing that lives on. And so think about this. What are you known for? Because that may happen to you today, this week, this month, this year. What are you known for right now? In fact, what do you focus on? What, let me ask it this way, what really matters to you? in life. Because that's what you'll be remembered for. If you have your outline, you can take that out because um, I wrote at the top of this page, we tend to focus on, you can go by any social media website, uh, newspaper or magazine rack, checkout stand. You can see what many people focus on and um, the things that don't end up making a difference in life. But let's look at some of those from the world today. I think many people focus on achievements in life. Things that they want to do. Things that are, that are good things, but are they great things? Things that they, they try and accomplish. I think other people try and focus on approval. Getting one or a few different people. In fact, some people here today still trying to get approval from a parent figure in your life. Maybe who have been gone for decades. And you're still trying to gather some type of approval in life. Or we may try and get that from a spouse or someone else, a boss, that maybe is not giving that to us. Approval is something we can focus on. Still others are looking for acquisitions in life. We live in a society and a culture that believes he or she who dies with the most toys, what? Wins. That's a saying we've become accustomed to. He who dies with the most toys, 
wins. And yet it is so not true because you cannot take any of those with you. Then there's those people who focus on appearance. Appearance, which, you know, of all those kind of is, is the biggest problem because our, our bodies just in, incredibly deteriorate and they end up being no good at the end of life, really, before we, as we die. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the story of two elderly guys who are playing golf in Sun City, Arizona, kind of at this retirement home area. And, and this elderly woman came streaking by with nothing on, completely bare naked. And the first guy said, did you see what she was wearing? And the next guy says, well, whatever it was, it sure needed ironing. <laughs> That's what happens to your parents, if you like to know that or not. Some of you are just getting that, aren't you? All these things take our minds off of what matters most. Especially that mental image I think I just created for some of you. They, they take our minds off, though, of what truly matters. And so what I want to do today is just give you three great little truths that you can take this outline, put it up on your mirror, maybe, maybe transfer it on a three-by-five card of these three truths that I'm going to share with you, um, put it on your dashboard, put it somewhere that will remind you of what we are to do in life before the game is over. Because I don't want you to get to the end and say, I wish I would have done things differently. First thing I encourage you to write down is this. The best use of life is to love. The best use of your life is to love. I will answer now the $64,000 question that may keep you awake at night. The answer to the question, why am I here? Why did God make me? He did it to love you. That is why God made you. God made you to love you and to love all over you. In fact, look at the verse at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 where it says that he, God, chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In fact, the verse says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In fact, look at this other version out of the Good News um, Version. It says this, it says, even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ. When God gave his son into the world, he was choosing us because he desired to have a relationship with us. That's what that verse is saying there. Through Jesus, each of us has been chosen to be in relationship with him. Because of his love, God has already declared that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his children. And watch this. That was God's pleasure. That was God's purpose for making you. That's why you are here today and you have life and you have breath. Because God has given it to you. And God is love. And love is worthless unless love is given to something or someone. That's why you were created And that's what God wants you to do with the life that you live. He wants you to love him and to love others back. The best use of life is to love. In fact, look at the verse out of 1 Corinthians 14.1. 
where it says, let love be your what goal? Your highest goal. Not just in your top 10, not in, you know, like the the top two or three, but let it be your highest goal. In fact, there was a man in the Bible who comes to Jesus and he kind of wants the cliff note version of life. And he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives it to him pretty succinctly. He says, dude, it is this, love God and love others. That's where it's at. Out of Matthew chapter 23, it says, verse 37 and 39, through 39, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then he slides this other one in just in the same sentence. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus is saying, here's what he's doing. Jesus isn't just saying relationships are good or relationships are an important part of life. He is saying relationships are your life. That's what life is all about, a relationship with him and a relationship with other people. That is why he made you. That is why he created you. That is why we have such a big emphasis here on community groups and studying God's Word together. It's a place where you can know others. It's a place where others can know you. It's a place where you can know God better as you are studying about Him. I I, I find nothing better than that. Yes, we do have our time when we study on our own, but we want to encourage you also to study with others, to encourage one another. It's why I do a men's breakfast on Tuesday morning at UJ's. It's why we have life support ministries. It's why we have Sunday school classes. It's why we do uh, Wednesday night electives. It's why we have circles of service and other groups that meet together so that you can open up God's word together and say, what is this saying to me? What is it saying to you? How is God speaking to us right now? We encourage you to do that. And so we're entering into the third year of doing this. Um, some of you were here the last couple of years. We had a Not a Fan study. Last year we had the Stormwatch series. And now we're going through life is over or when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And um, I just want to encourage you to get involved. In fact, I'm going to ask Sarah and Grant Head if they would come up right now. Because here's a couple of people who probably a few years ago would never have imagined that they'd be up here on stage with me here. A little nervous today, but Sarah, you did a great job, and Grant, you did as well in the first service, and I know they're going to just share this with you as well. I I wanted to bring them up because um, it can be a little scary to come out of the congregation and get into a community group, and yet you guys did that, and this is the third year that you're going to be involved in the series. So tell us kind of what that first was like. It was a little scary for you to get involved, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I honestly didn't want to be involved in a community group because I'm shy. Um, I didn't want to be put in a situation where I would have to speak or um, be forced to answer questions about what I was taking away, what we were studying. So um, I went through the first, uh, and not a fan series, not saying a word. I didn't answer anything, didn't say anything. I just didn't feel the urge to speak. And in fact, your, your leader asked if you wanted to pray, and, and, and uh, your husband told me this the other day, you went like this. 
didn't you? All right? Like, no, I'm not wanting to speak yet. And, and you know what? Usually we don't have people do that. And, and so I, I, I'm glad you were okay with just saying, nope, I, I'm not ready to yet. But it's been amazing what they've done here. And I'll explain a little bit more about what they're doing now. But Grant, you guys jumped into a group uh, out in the Linden area. I think you both said, okay, if there's a group near us, we'll, we'll give it a try. Um, explain to us a little bit about what goes on in community groups because not everybody has been a part of those. Well, typically what happens is uh, you just get together. Um, there's a time frame of uh, the curriculum that is usually put on in the uh, Bible study. Um, that way it's a set, set time. You're not there all day or all evening. Um, but basically you get together with people. You meet new people. You, you start to learn about them, and they become like an extension of family. Um, you're not required to answer any questions you're only required to be there and hopefully you take something away um, you're not required to lead a prayer or anything like Pastor Brad just talked about um, but if something strikes you then if Jesus requires it of you then you can do it if you uh, would like to but all we ask is that you show up and um, you know take something away yeah, and, and that in and of itself can be kind of a difficult first step, and that's why we're just wanting to put these people before you to see the steps that they have taken because, Sarah, this has really made a difference in your guys' life, hasn't it? I mean, you guys have gathered more people around you and friendships than you ever thought you'd have. Yes, it has actually um, made a big difference in our lives. Grant and I have um, taken the unexpected progression into leadership, and um, that really stretches me and puts me out of my comfort zone because I am shy. Um, Grant and I have gotten to know many more people from the church, and we have developed uh, friendships with actually one of the first couples that we met in our Bible study. They um, have kids that are similar to our kids' age, and so we get to socialize with people who have like values, and um, we know that their kids are being brought up in a Christian home. Um, so the people who are in your community group, they're an extension of your family, and they're there to pray for you and love on you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And most importantly, Grant and I have grown spiritually. Um, we're in the Word more often, and we are holding each other accountable for um, how to apply God's words to our life. And that's exciting. We were talking a little bit yesterday, and they say, you know, we don't just now come and open up the Bible on Sundays, but we do that regularly during the week, and specifically to do a study like this, um, to see how God's speaking to us. So, so Grant, someone out there today is, is nervous to kind of take this step. What would you tell them? I would just say that if you have any reason that you're using as an excuse to not join a small community group, I would say don't worry about it. Just show up. People are going to be more than willing to welcome you into their group, whether it's a new group or an existing group. They just want you there. Um, there's absolutely no pressure. Just show up, have a good time, and you'll be amazed at what you can take away, especially when we do the, the ones that are connected to the Sunday services hmm. because it's a lot better than just showing up Sunday. Maybe you've got a few questions and you don't have anybody to ask about them or just you didn't understand something. Well, when you go to the uh, community group, talk about it and no one in the community group is an expert but everybody sees things a little bit differently and I don't know you just you'd be amazed at what you can take away from it absolutely and you guys actually talk about when you uh share with what you said about thirsting oh yeah sorry we've gotten to the point where we enjoy it so much that when 
there's a break in the, the Bible studies and the community groups. We actually look forward to the next one because, uh, again, my wife puts it that we thirst for the opportunity to be with other people just to discuss things with them and just about what we've learned and how enjoyable it is. It, it really is. It's really, we've gone from being apprehensive and nervous and shy to now we just look forward to doing it and seeing people. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being willing to lead. And um, we'd encourage you, if you want to get into a group, there's a table out underneath the oak tree. And during the barbecue time, go there. So why don't you say thank you to Grant and Sarah. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. They're modeling what we said first. The best use of life is to love. Let me go to the second point to keep moving here. The best expression of love is time. The best expression of love is time, especially in 2015 when things seem to be so hectic and life seems to be so busy. Um, There's a great chapter in the book, uh, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box by John Ortberg, um, that he entitles... Winning alone is called losing. Interesting point. Winning alone is called losing. And he shares about uh, the story of, um, of a man by the name of Max Dupree who uh, was dialoguing with his father one day. His father was in his mid-90s. And he had been a world-class, wildly successful CEO. In fact, some of the inventions and things that they had made are today in the um, Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. Um, his father had been involved in church, community life, had invested well, had done well for himself. But his wife and many of his friends had now passed away. And so in his mid-90s, his son could see that he was struggling with life. And he asked his father how he was doing. And his father said, not well. In fact, his father said this. He says, I've lived too long. He said, I've outlived everybody I knew. It's a a hard thing to outlive all your peers. I don't have any friends left. They've all died. His son said, don't you have anybody? His dad said, no. And then he thought, well, there's one person. He said, then he told his son, Max, about his one friend. There was in his neighborhood an eight-year-old boy who lived nearby. The boy had no father, no real male role model in his life. His path home from school took him past the old man's house, and a relationship started when one day they nodded at each other when they passed by. The nods turned into hellos, and the hellos turned into conversations. Now, after a while, the boy got into the habit of stopping by two or three times a week on his way home from school. What do you do when he comes by? Asked Max, intrigued by the picture of his 96-year-old ex-CEO father hosting a second grader. He said every day, his dad said, he would fix a plate of milk or a cup of milk and a plate of cookies just in case that day would be the day his friend stopped to visit. And on those days when he did, Max's dad would bring the snack outside. They would sit down together on the porch so everyone in the neighborhood could see that there was no uh, funny business or get suspicious about what they were doing. And then he writes this. He says, Then the loneliness of a 96-year-old widowed world-class CEO and the loneliness of an eight-year-old fatherless boy connected and melted away. 
you know, I think about a story like that. And I think you can't make friendships or the love that comes from friendships happen. They come, when they come, they're a gift from God. But you can make space for them in your life. You can make time, take time, carve out time for those things to happen. Because to be honest, there are way too many of us in this room who do way too much with things that do not matter very much at all. We get involved with a lot of unnecessary things, things that really don't make a difference. In fact, let me give you some advice on this. Not everything urgent is important. Let me say that again. Not everything urgent that's going to come your way this week is really important in the game of life. Let me remind you, you are human beings, not human doings. And there are just times when you need to be and carve out that space to be with God as well. In fact, that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 46, be still and know that he is God. God speaking, be still and know that I am God. A number of years ago, someone gave me this picture that I had up in my office for, for quite a while. A picture of a little baby in the hands of a male father probably figure in this little baby's life just early on and i think about how much that should be like us and god where we take time to pull aside develop that relationship that goes this way with god so that then we can develop the relationship that goes this way when god gives us the love this way first and I was reflecting on the fact that I was leading the Bible study for Wednesday nights that we've been doing in the uh, Welcome Center. And I was teaching about the parable of the prodigal son. And it really showed for me the only time when I see God in the scriptures, the only time when we see God or the God figure in a hurry. Jesus modeled this. He was never in a hurry with his disciples. And the only place that I see God ever being pictured as being in a hurry is that story of the prodigal son where the father figure is there waiting for his son to come home. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And when he finally sees his son on the way home, he runs for him. The only place we see God in a hurry. Otherwise, God is on a different timetable. And I think he encourages us way more than we do now to take life a little slower, to take life a little more, make life a little bit more intentional, about pulling away from the urgent to do the important. Jesus never got too busy. Jesus modeled this. He modeled it for his disciples. When, when he was going to do miracles, he would pull away and he would pray. He would gather with his disciples. He would take life at a different kind of pace. And he showed that to his disciples. In fact, look at the verse there out of Ephesians chapter 5, 2. Paul says this, Walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I love what the uh, New Living Translation says about this. It says, live a life filled with love for others, following that example that Jesus Christ gave to us. And so I want to challenge you. To begin to live outside of your own self. To love others after you have received that love from God. Instead of being cocooned down into a mold that our world is trying to push us into. In fact, I came across an interesting stat this uh, last week. Did you know that now the average American now watches TV or interfaces with computers or their smartphone seven and a half hours a day? That's longer than some of us sleep 
and we are there in front of our computers or watching television. Let me show you how that puts together. That's 53 hours a week. That's 2,730 hours a year. Putting that into perspective, that amount of time is, um, you put that all together, it's like spending 170 days straight at 16 hours a day with only those eight hours of sleep. 170 days straight staring at the boob tube. I mean, you, you, you look at the reality TV shows that, that we sit there and watch. We're, 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 we watch other people have reality TV show lives, and we don't have lives because we're watching, trying to watch their lives. That is bound to affect relationships. That is bound to, de- to, to change the way you do things. In fact, let me just give you a homework assignment, okay? Here's your homework assignment this week. Scratch, fight, claw to find time, to map out time. Be it 10 minutes, be it a half hour a day, whatever it may be. Sometime this week to spend face-to-face one-on-one time with the people who are closest to you. My wife and I, we set down on our calendars when we are going on walks throughout the week because we know if we don't do that, life with a high schooler and a junior higher gets very, very busy. We have to set aside those times to make those times to be able to connect in that way. I encourage you to do that with one another. Set those times out. Find those times to do that on a regular basis. And if you're married and you started wearing this T-shirt this week, we interrupt this marriage to bring you football season, then um, that's why God made DVRs, right? Record it, watch it later, all right? I'm getting some elbows in the front row, such down here. Yes, last point. The best time to love is now. It's now. See, Love is eternal, but it must be given on a daily basis. Not tomorrow, not next week, not when life slows down, not when you get done with school or the kids are through school, not when you get to a different economic status, who you're kidding there, right? It's to be given now. That's when love is best given. In fact, look at the verses, the words that the Apostle Paul uses out of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I have away, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing, because he says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. In fact, let me ask you, when do you most often hear these words read? At, at a wedding ceremony, don't you? When those two people don't need love at that time, they are, they are fully in love. Do you know who this was a first and originally intended to be read to? To the church. Probably a home church in the city of Corinth where Paul writes these words. Maybe there was conflicts. Maybe there were people who were not spending time with one another. Maybe there were people who were not blessing each other. They were kind of proud and haughty. But Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. Verse 5, it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. Love endures all things. All things. 
You know, this last week I was at a, a football game, and it was actually with Michael January. We were watching uh, a football game, and he began to talk to me a little bit about his daughter and when his daughter went off to college. And the thought kind of struck me that my, my daughter is now in high school, could be going off to college in just four short years. And it reminded me of um, the passage here in this book that I want to read to you as well when uh, John Ortberg, the author, Uh, also came to this realization in his life. Here's what he said. He said, um, It was a few days after both of our girls had left for college. They had three kids, but two of them had now left. When his wife Nancy went to the grocery store to get food for the family, went grocery shopping, she picked up three potatoes in the produce section, and then the thought hit her. We used to be a five-potato family. Then our oldest, Laura, went away to school, and we only needed four. Then our second went away as well, and we only needed three. He writes, soon it will be Johnny's, our youngest turn, and then we will be back to the two potatoes that started the whole thing. (laughs) Then his wife, Nancy, who he says usually is more of a thinker than a feeler, just stood there in the grocery store with three potatoes in her hand. And cried. Then he says she got a pack of ho-hos and ate them and felt much better. (laughs) But you think about that. And some of you have missed your potatoes for a while. Some of you have grandchildren now who are little potatoes. And you're enjoying them. But I think about how much God loves us. And it is just a tiny, tiny echo. Tiny echo of my love for my children, my love for my spouse, my love for the people who are in my life. And I think about how much God loves the homeless man who's sitting on the corner who you are going to drive past on the way home from church today. Now think about how much God loves that work associate who's just so irritating people in your workplace. I think about how much God loves that ISIS rebel who is creating havoc and fear all around this world. And yet God loves him too. I think about how much God loves that person in our lives who are those extra grace required joy suckers, and yet God loves them incredibly much. You know, as a pastor, I um, oftentimes go to the hospital, and uh, sometimes we'll get called out at night going to the hospital, and when you do, you, you go in through the emergency room area. And again, it reminded me of a story by um, a man by the name of Wes Singler, who writes about the intensive care unit waiting room. Here's what he says. He says, I spent long hours in the intensive care waiting room watching with anguished people, listening to urgent questions. Will my husband make it? Will my child walk again? How do you live without your companion of 35 years? He says, the intensive care waiting room is different from any other place in the whole world. And the people who wait there are different. They don't do or they can't do enough for one another. No one's rude. 
No one's self-seeking. The distractions of race and class melt away. The garbage man loves his wife just as much as the university professor loves his. And everyone understands this. Everyone pulls for each other. The intensive care waiting room. It says in the intensive care waiting room, the world changes. Vanity and pretense vanish. The universe is focused on the doctor's next report. If only it will show improvement. Everyone knows that loving someone else is what life is all about. In the intensive care waiting room. And then he gives his last challenge. Could we learn to love like that if we realize that every day of life is a day in the waiting room? You know, I think we'd love differently if we saw life that way. We would live life differently if we thought about when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. So what are you living for? See, for years we've talked about First Baptist being a hospital here at 3535 North El Dorado Street. And we're people who just welcome others in. And I pray and I hope that we are those people who are in the waiting room cheering one another on, encouraging one another to get healthy and to get strong and to get whole. And that's what we're going to do underneath the oak tree today. That's what we're going to do in the Welcome Center today. That's what we're going to do in community groups for the next eight weeks. That's what we do in our Sunday school classes and our other groups that we gather with. We encourage each other. We say, hey, what matters most? What are you living for? It's why God sent his son into this world to die for us. And if today you are here and you feel hopeless, know that through Jesus Christ, you have all the hope in this world. And if you can't find the hope yet, know that there are hundreds of people around here who have enough hope for you, and you just stick around, and you just keep coming, and we're going to encourage one another. And those of you who have the hope of Jesus, you just keep giving that away and giving that away and giving that away because we all pull for one another. We all hope for one another. We pray for one another. We encourage each other on life in the waiting room. like that. And my prayer is that as people drive up and down these streets of El Dorado that they will see this church and say there is something different about that place. And we'll know that's the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I pray that if you are keeping that to yourself, that you would no longer do that, that you would step out and you would be involved because if you you don't think you need more of that, there's someone in your life who does. We need to encourage one another, support one another, love each other, help each other. First Baptist, that's our mandate today. Join us on this journey. It's going to be a great journey. Let's pray. God, thank you for an opportunity to share your word to share your truth about what really matters in life. And so today, as we're encouraged and challenged to take a step beyond ourselves, Lord, I I pray that we would know that when we do that, you are there. You are helping us get more connected. You are helping us love one another. You are helping us be Jesus to the people around us. And so, God, I thank you for the testimony of a Grant and Sarah Head who have said our lives are different because we study God's word with other people. Our lives are different because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that there be anybody in this congregation who walked in here today feeling lonely, that they would take a step beyond themselves and say, God, I'm yours. God, I am yours today.
If today you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's the reason that we can be in relationship with God. God sent him into this world to die for you, to die for me, and by knowing him, by praying in great faith for him to come into our lives, we can be in relationship with God. If you have not done that, or if you do not know what that truth means, today is just a day you can whisper that name right now. Jesus, would you come into my life? And he promises he will. Even that simple prayer starts the journey. And I would ask if you just utter those words, that simple prayer today, then the person who brought you here today or invited you to come, or I will be here on the front row, would you just come and share that you said those words today? Jesus, would you come into my life? We want to help you take your next steps. We want to be your cheering team to help you as you walk through life together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. We want to live life differently. We want to live with the end result in mind. We praise you and we worship you for that. Jesus, we pray in your name. In the name of Jesus, the most powerful name there is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.